May I direct your thoughts to the chapter we read in the book of Proverbs, chapter 28 and verse 13. Proverbs, chapter 28 and verse 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. The Bible is a wonderful book. The book of Proverbs, written by Solomon, brings to the fore somewhat of his own mixed experience, who, with the blessing of God, had received great wisdom, and yet, through the deceitfulness of sin, had entered into great folly. So difficult it is to look at the life of Solomon that one begins to wonder where he stood, were it not that scripture makes that quite clear. But then again, who are we? Who are you? Who am I? To talk of the sin of Solomon when sin lies at our own door and we fall into sin in our actions, uh, in our thoughts, and in our relationships. And we indeed can say with a very upright man, to us belongs shame and confusion of face as at this day. These are the words spoken by Daniel a wonderful believer, upright in his ways and always enabled to be true to his own calling. And yet, through the guiding, guidance of the Holy Spirit, he was unable to see within himself that which was altogether rotten. And that is how we all are, whether we are old or whether we are young or whether we are middle-aged, whether we are British, whether we are European, whether we are Asians, whether we are from Africa, whatever country we belong to. And so tonight, for a little, we will try to look at sin. And uh, in order to look at sin, 
we will look into the days of our Lord when he lived in Palestine and when he set before us the problems that sin always creates. You would have said that if God came to this world, the world would of necessity recognize the difference between sin and righteousness. So one of the philosophers of old spoke. But God did come into the world. They did not recognize him. Scripture tells us that he came unto his own, that is to the Jews, and his own did not receive him. And we see the unbelievable cry when they sat in judgment upon him with Pilate as judge, not this man, not the Lord Jesus Christ, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a thief and a robber and due to die. But such was the choice that was made at Calvary. And we also make our own daily choice of sin. And if we do not actually say it in words, we say it in our actions. Not this man, but Barabbas. We prefer ungodliness to godliness. We prefer the ways that lead to destruction rather than the way that leads to life eternal. Now, in the days of our Lord, there were three classes of sin that are set before us. There was, first of all, the sin of the publican. There was then the sin of the Pharisee. And last of all, the sin of the Sadducee. And if we are enabled to look into what Scripture has to tell us about these three classes, we will get a biblical picture of what sin does to us. Sin is our greatest enemy, a terrible destroyer, and makes us do those things that ought to bring us in shame to confess before the Lord and to seek his forgiveness. First of all, then, the sin of the publican. Now, in every country, there is a lost class whose particular sin is that it is 
absolutely given away to the appetites of the lawlessness that is in man, the appetites of the flesh, so that sin no longer is hid or where a person no longer seeks to hide his own sin. There is no sense of shame. There is no sense of self-control. There is no sense of what sin is doing to us. And it's quite tragic, quite sad. Tonight, there are thousands of young people up and down the country who are caught up with addiction of some kind. And we should really feel a great sadness when we think of how, for example, alcohol is destroying and has been destroying Scotland. The abuse of it. It's tragic. I recall speaking to an alcoholic who told me that drink to him was the only desire that he wished fulfilled in his life. He would steal from his mother. His marriage broke up. He would walk down a leafy lane in June. He would hear no birds singing. He had to have drink, and when he had it, he didn't enjoy it. It is unbelievable, but one believes that he was delivered from that awful state of mind and of the condition that he was in. And that is how addiction is. It's because of the unrest that a person is experiencing. He may be an old person, he may be middle-aged, he may be young. And a lot of the young are caught up in this tragedy of drug addiction. We incline to be harsh in our thoughts of those who are so caught up. But perhaps it would be wiser for us if we could remember the words of another who himself was a great rebel and a great sinner. And when walking down the street with someone else, when better days had come into his experience, and they both looked at a man in the gutter with drink, 
and he said to his friend, There goes John Newton, but for the grace of God. By now he had been arrested, delivered from his sin. He was a minister of the gospel, a very outstanding minister. And when he saw the plight of the person that was overcome with alcohol, he was not critical as such, but recognized, but for the grace of God. And but for the grace of God, you and I would be caught up in the same thing instead of being here tonight seeking the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ. But thankfully, we have a Savior who came to seek and to save that which was lost. Our sympathy doesn't go very far, does it? Sometimes it is confined to words, empty gestures, righteous, self-righteous comments. But with our Lord and Saviour, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, we have this lost class and they come to a stage where at last they either don't care who sees them or they are so overpowered by that problem that they have lost all self-control. And some of these dropouts who sleep rough in our streets are not people that have not known better. Some of them highly intelligent men and women, but they have been reduced. Their sin has reduced them to this terrible poverty. And on a cold night, winter's night, when you have the luxury of the warmth of your own home, and when you can go to the cupboard if you are hungry to take some food, these poor people are so caught up in this self-destruction that they are there doing what they can to keep themselves warm on a freezing cold night, hungry and without a friend. And we are thankful to God for those charities that do so much and would put some of us to shame in what they do in order to bring some comfort, a crumb of comfort to these poor people. Sin is a great destroyer. Now the publicans are tax gatherers. They were really tax gatherers 
uh, in our Lord's day, they, some of them, were quite shameless. They practically sold themselves to the Roman overlords. Their loyalty to Palestine, to Israel as we speak of it today, their loyalty had gone. And somehow or another, their calling allowed them to practice dishonesty to make themselves rich. They not only gathered what was owed by taxpayers, but they charged more than was required and pocketed the surplus. And they were detested by the Jews. And they were looked upon as people who had sold themselves to the Roman overlords. They were not all like that, but the generality were. And they were a class that were utterly despised. And we see in our Lord's day the strange thing that our Lord and Saviour seemed more sympathetic, or should I say empathetic, to these people, to these dropouts from society than he did to the Jews who were leading lives that were quite regular. Now, our Lord never condoned sin and he clearly emphasized the necessity of holiness of character, the Ten Commandments. But nevertheless, we see, for example, that he calls Matthew the publican, the tax gatherer. And when Matthew took him to his own home and invited other tax gatherers alongside, our Lord went there. But let us remember not to indulge, not to fall into their ways, but to seek and to save these people. It's really, really beautiful how Christ touched the lives of those untouchables. And it shows you what sin does to a person when Christ was hated more than any other person and yet his only fault as far as they were concerned was that he went up and down the land doing good. If there was somebody in Inverness who had the gift of healing 
and was helping people of all kinds, surely the city would recognize the qualities of that person. And for those who would benefit from illnesses that were destroying their lives, they would feel very, very indebted. But that was not the reaction uh, with the Jews in the days of Christ. He raised the dead, the deaf were hearing, the blind were receiving their sight. He did all kinds of beautiful and lovely things to people who were unlovely and caught up in their own sin. And yet, in all of that, he was not appreciated by the great majority. But so were the publicans and the ones who were most antagonistic towards them were the respectable and religious classes of that day. Now, if you're down and out, you would think that a church person would surely be the more understanding to us in these circumstances. But sadly, it is not the case. Our religiosity becomes a way of condemnation where we look upon the unfortunates as those that are detestable and people who we do not desire to associate with. So now we come to think of the sin of the Pharisee and uh, we see that it is quite remarkable how little or at least how ready our Lord was to mix with the down and outs with the uh, tax gatherers with those who were in situations of great distress compared to the uh, condemnation that he directed at the churchmen of the day, the Pharisees. Now, not all the Pharisees were like that, but the greater part of the Pharisees were we do come across people like uh, Nicodemus. Uh, and uh, it is very beautiful how when Christ died, we see the provision of God in sending forth uh, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea to anoint the body of our Lord 
and to prepare it for burial. And we also see that in the Sanhedrin that was so antagonistic to our Lord that Nicodemus spoke quite openly and censured the condemnation that they were making before the person was tried. And we see how when our Lord was answering Pilate, how Pilate, a Roman judge, and one is told that Roman law, some of it which is practiced even to this day, was very just. Uh, he, as the representative of Rome, uh, could find no fault in Christ. And yet, such was the cowardice of sin that he ordered him to be scourged and eventually to be handed over to those who so hypocritically cried out, not this man, but Barabbas, not Jesus, but Barabbas. Mm. Now, the Pharisees complimented themselves that they were descendants of Abraham, and so they were, according to the flesh. They had a very good record in terms of genealogy. And we see how, in so many different ways, uh, they were the custodians of uh, orthodoxy. The Pharisees, to begin with, were the defenders of the faith. And uh, against the encroachments of others who wanted to change what Scripture said and did and to interpret it in another way, the Pharisees sought to retain the uh, Scriptures as the only rule to direct us. They had very good beginnings and very commendable in that they wished to defend the faith. But such was the development in their lives that their religion became a religiosity. They complimented themselves for what they were. As our Lord tells us in that parable, uh, uh, not a parable, but told us about the, uh, the uh, publican who went to pray, the tax gatherer that went to pray in the temple, and uh, the uh, Pharisee. And the Pharisee begins to tell God 
the good things that he had done and what he hadn't done, the bad things that he hadn't done. And he even said, I'm not even like this publican who was so ashamed of his own life that he sat at a distance and he wouldn't even lift his head uh, to heaven but beat upon his breast and spoke these uh, sore expressions that were his feelings at the time Lord be merciful to me a sinner that uh, the Pharisee paid his tithes he contributed and they had a powerful place in the community because the church in those days in our Lord's time they were the people who socially looked after those who needed extra help if you were cast out of the synagogue you were deprived of uh, perhaps the only help that was available to you in those days. And they had no compunction about casting out of the synagogue or disowning. And so we meet this situation of the Pharisees, the sin of the Pharisee, self-righteousness. You have it. I have it. Uh, how often we have thought, well, when you hear of something, well, I wouldn't do that. Wouldn't you? Have you done worse? Have I done worse? Are there things in your life that you're very glad nobody else knows about? I am. And we are told that one sin is indicative of sin, full stop. It's not just one thing that goes wrong, but an indication of something that's all wrong within us that has to be corrected and that person delivered from its power. And so we have the Pharisees critical of our Lord. Imagine a gluttonous man, that's what they said of Christ, and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. And when he was going to the cross, they jeered at him and encouraged the mob to miscall and to show disrespect. Unbelievable. You would think that if you were seeing a man going to be put to death, hand on a cross, that surely there would be some 
pity of some description somewhere in your person where you would feel, well, I cannot but feel sad to be watching a scene like this, a person going to die in this way, but no such was the hardness of the human heart. And the Pharisees encouraged the mob. And they cried out, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. Churchianity is a horrible thing. Uh, a horrible thing. And we have to seek grace that we may be delivered from it. But the sin of the Pharisee was a sin of self-righteousness. So that outwardly we may appear to our fellow men as people that are true and steadfast. But God knows that in us, but for the grace of God, we would die for our sins immediately. And so we see the sin of the Pharisee. We come to the sin of the Sadducee. The Sadducee was a churchman too, a more liberal type of person. He was quite happy to extend his... Uh, friendship beyond the Jewish circle. Uh, he didn't accept all that scripture said and didn't believe in uh, miracles. Uh, a very different type and yet a churchman and he had uh, a very strong place in the justiciary uh, of that day had a strong place in the Sanhedrin and you will recall how when Paul was on trial how he mentioned how he believed in the resurrection of the dead the, Pharisee, the uh, Sadducees didn't. The Pharisees did. Uh, the liberal men of the day who didn't accept who God is except in the manner that they practiced their own exclusion of what was not acceptable to them. A lot of them came from the rich and uh, the very well-off uh, and they held a position that was uh, allowing them to practice their unbelief in a manner that others would not have been allowed to get away with. Now you have that today. You have it in the church as well as throughout the country. 
and how sad it is that you will find some ecclesiastics, some churches, and they will tell you that what is written in the Bible is not the word of God. Although Jesus says that not one jot or tittle of what is written in the scriptures will fail to be fulfilled, they say, no, that is only the opinion that is expressed by those who didn't know so well as we do. And they put forward their own reasonings and shut out the parts of Scripture. They don't accept that when we die, we shall either go to heaven or go to a lost eternity. And, oh, my dear friends, I hope it will not be your experience nor mine that when we die, we open our eyes in a lost eternity. Nobody spoke oftener about it than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he speaks of the place as a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, where you have the companionship of Satan and all the fallen uh, angels uh, that uh, make up the powers of darkness. I remember when my sister, one of my sisters was dying and she had cancer and she was in great pain and I remember her saying, I would not wish this to my worst enemy. Oh, my dear friends, to think of a person going to a lost eternity puts a shudder through my very frame and I feel very, very sad, very, very sad. And I hope that you and I, by the grace of God, may be delivered because the Bible says, What shall it profit a man, though he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The president of Russia sets his goal to extend the boundaries of Russia and by his command horrible things are happening in the Ukraine. He's an old man and soon he will be going 
the way of all the earth. And if he does not repent before he dies, he will be answerable for all that. And you think of the madness and the folly of doing what he is doing to men, women and children for pieces of land. It's, it's, it's unbelievable, unbelievable. Oh, my dear friends, life is short, sin is real, and you and I need the grace of God to receive deliverance from our sin so that when we die, we will die in Christ. It's a beautiful thing when a Christian dies. It's a beautiful thing. It's sad for those loved ones, but still, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. A man or a woman going from time into eternity to see the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and to be with all that he has saved, to be in the presence of God, to enjoy what cannot be described by ordinary language in this life. Oh, my dear friends, sin is rottenness. It's in me, it's in you, only Christ can deliver you from that rottenness. Look to him that you may be saved, and I will do likewise. Let us pray. <clears throat> Lord, we seek grace to look unto thee, to be delivered from all that is sinful in us, and we pray not only for ourselves, but for our fellow sinners, whether they are in our own families or amongst the millions, the billions that we have never seen and never will in this life. O oh Lord Jesus, look upon us in thy mercy, for thy great name's sake. Amen. Amen. Let us close singing in the 19th Psalm and from the 12th verse. Psalm 19, verse 12. Who can his errors understand? O cleanse thou me within from secret faults, thy servant keep from all presumptuous sin. Psalm 19, from verse 12 to the end of the psalm, to God's praise. Who can his
minor the intimations, the prayer meeting on Thursday at the usual time of 7.30 p.m. and will be, God willing, conducted by the Reverend Stuart Farms. And the services next Lord's Day uh, are expected uh, to be uh, taken by Pastor Oliver Winkle from Bedford. These are all the intimations. <clears throat> the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. Amen. Amen. Amen.